I'm going to need your help. Now, I, it, there's, there's a million ways to teach the Bible, talk about the Bible, lots of different ways. This is my third time here. And um, I'm, I'm tired of carrying you people. No, I am. Um, um, so I thought, so kind of, you know, honeymoon's over. You know what I mean? I'll admit, the first two times, I'm like, I'm no different than anybody else. Oh, I just hope they like me. Um, but so I thought today, since we've kind of gotten to know, if you've been here before, you know, that it might be fun if we interacted a little bit more. So I'm, I am, in, and it may be unusual, like it feels rude sometimes to talk in church. Try to pretend that we're sitting in just a, in a living room that is very poorly designed, okay? So <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of our context today, so you'll be able to shout out. So I wrote up on the word, this will get us started. Um, I wrote just these three words, or three and a half. Let's check it. When you see that, what do you think is the next thing you're supposed to do? Sign up somewhere. Okay, sign up. Okay, oh, I like that. What else? Okay, who said that? Who said that? Yeah, yeah. So you've been to a small group, right? <laughs> All right? I love it. So my, my faith community, I, I'm one of the co-pastors at a, at a little tiny church called The Refuge up in Broomfield. And we are the most processing people in the world. Like, we process everything. It's, sometimes I'm careful to ask how somebody is because I don't have that much time. Okay, so. All right. So process feelings. What else? Say what? Oh, pay. Oh, that, I never thought of that one. All right. So you're at the doctor's office, and they say check in. Just stand up and start processing your feelings, you know? <laughs> you know, you're in, you're in ninth grade algebra class. Nobody cares about your feelings. They just want to know here. In other words, the words are kinda, aren't going to change. They're the same words. But where you are and who is saying them changes everything about how we respond to the words. That little bit of information, if you're a Bible reader, will help you. Because sometimes the words are not necessarily the, the problem or the issue. The problem is you don't know what room you're in and you don't know who's talking. And you don't know what they're after. If you can discover that, that's not going to solve everything, but that will help you a long way down the road. And so we're going to do a little bit of that today. I'm going to get, kind of check in a little bit on what room we're in, who's talking, and that'll help us. But that's just a little freebie that you can even take beyond here. Now, one more thing before I get to our scripture. No, no, no. No, I take that back. I'm going to uh, let's do our scripture. Let's do let's do the scripture. This will be If if you're th maybe you just wandered in today. Very likely if, you have, if you've had no connection to the Christian faith, but you've been connected somehow in America, if you've watched a sporting event, somehow, if you're over the age of 30, I would highly doubt that you've never heard the scripture we're going to process this morning. All right? One more thing before I do that. I just remembered I forgot my watch. Who has a watch I can borrow and put up here? Because I am really particular about Thank you, Jim. Yeah, all the people motivated to be you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing like a control freak. No, I'm just kidding. Um, don't you hate coming? If you weren't here, I couldn't abuse you, but you're here, so hey. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? The la I think the last three times you've had a congregational meeting after I preach. Like, I'm a little insecure about that. But anyhow, um, 
All right, so, and what time do I need to be finished, honestly? About what time? <laughs> he looks at his watch. <laughs> About what time usually do you, do you try to wrap up? For sure? no, later, no later than? 1045. 10.45. Okay, we'll, we'll make that mark. That's easy. The old Facebook page, if, you're, if you see Jim with hair, that would be that. Well, yeah, no, okay, all right, enough of that. Enough abusing poor brother Jim. All right, here's that verse that I told you you already probably know. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. So just for a moment, I'll assume that there's a pretty large portion in this room that would identify as Christian. And probably would, have, would say that you've identified as a Christian or as a Christ follower, a person who has said yes to the claims of Jesus for maybe a long time. And so you might think to yourself, well, why would we then, if that's my audience, why would I go back to John 3.16, which seems to be sort of a starting place for that journey? When I was in Bible college, I learned about something that was actually helpful. Okay. Well, that sounds sarcastic. There was lots of things. But, <laughs> but, but looking back, not everything. Anyhow, um, and, there were, and, and I'm going to tell you what I like and what I maybe don't like so much, but it's, it was called the angle scale. Do you remember the angle scale of evangelism? Did you ever hear that term? So the angle scale of evangelism, I can't remember the name, the book it came out of, was this guy who helped understand that, that, that coming to Jesus is not necessarily a binary sort of transaction. That not everybody starts at the same place in this following Jesus. That people start at different places. So he, and I can't remember the numbers, but we'll, we'll put, I think, I think he started with on this scale, this continuum, a negative 16. A negative 16 was a person who not only did not believe in God, but was hostile to God. The whole idea of, of sort of like a, a mad, angry atheist. Okay, would be a negative athe period. All right, and then um, and so in somewhere, honestly, I think it was negative eight, which sounds weird, is where a person said yes to Jesus, and then up here, I think plus ten is as far as it went, was a person who was just madly in love with God, and 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 served others. And was sort of wholehearted. That'll be my word. And the scale went this direction, obviously, right? You move this way. Now, what I like about it, as I said earlier, I like that it's not that, that it acknowledges that we all are beginning someplace differently. Some people, as we're going to find today, start their journey somewhere in here. Some people right here. Some people back here. But here's the problem, is what happens in more in enlightened cultures, more in Western ideas, is that whenever we see something linear, we assume that it's one direction. It's like a one-way street, and you don't U-turn on a one-way street. But my experience is different than linear. So when I was in ninth grade, I didn't come from a Christian home, but when I was in ninth grade, I said yes to Jesus in a really dramatic way. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. 
I'm 53 years old. And on occasion, I will wake up in the morning and be somewhere back here. In other words, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I go, wait, is this all true? Like, is there really a... Like, and I know this sounds... Maybe I should say this after I get the check. But anyhow, is <laughs> like sometimes I wonder, is there really a God? Could this all be just a story? What about the millions of people who believe something completely different than me? They're smart, good people. I've met them. What I believe happens over time, this is how I like to make this look. I believe there's an element of truth to this. There is going to be no perfect illustration. What I like, I think my life looks something more like this. And if we put those numbers on this, what I've discovered is Usually by the afternoon, I'm back to somewhere plus nine or plus six or plus whatever. I will admit that over time, the length of time that I stay in a sense of despair or, or, or deep, deep doubt isn't nearly as long as it has been in the past. That there's something about maturing that helps me with that. But I can't say that I never wake up at a different place. I can't remember. What was the name of that second? I think it was the second song. You saying, um, what's the next one? Something about, it was something about, I, maybe it was every day I'm, I'm all in, that, that song. And I, sometimes when I'm singing, I think, I feel like I'm lying a little bit. Like it makes me feel, but, but the way I, so the way I translate it is, that's what I want. I want to wake up every day and be fully in anything you want, God. But I have to acknowledge that is not how I wake up every day. All right. All of that to help us then understand what room we're in and what's going on in this most famous of all Bible verses. Well, we'll just have to do this. All right. I might use it later, but I might not. All right, so let's talk a little bit. If you happen to have a Bible, it's not, if you don't, it's no big deal. I'll, I'll read it for you. But it's in John 3. That's where we are. That's John 3.16. Um, two characters in this story, this narrative, who are the two characters? Anybody know? A guy named Nicodemus and, and Jesus. All right. 90% of the time, if you're asked a question in church, the answer will be Jesus. Just, just a little heads up. All right. <laughs> There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. All right, let me, let me stop just for a second. When you hear the word religious leader, what comes to mind? <laughs> Jesus, somebody whispered. <laughs> uh, somebody give him a star. All right, um... It was a man named Nicodemus, a religious leader. What do you think of? What do you, tell me what, what you already think you might know. You don't have to be right. It's no big deal. We're just... Okay, maybe like a pastor. Or a priest. Uptight. Uptight. What else? I heard something. I'm sorry. An evangelist. Somebody who's able to... Who's going to tell the story. Legalistic. So already, you see, just like in any story, 
when, when you read sort of descriptors, you begin to paint a little picture. I think your pictures are all pretty good. My hunch is this is not a negative 16, right? I don't think there's any way he's a negative 16. Here, so I'm wrestling with this. And he, let, me, let me read on. This is what he says. Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. This, this verse, I will say, that verse right there makes me kind of stop for a minute. Because, see, when I think of religious leaders, one thing I often don't sort of picture is spiritually curious people. What I often experience in my own life is, is the longer somebody has been, quote, a leader, the less questioning and curious they become, the more certain and dogmatic they become. I would have totally expected a... Man named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader who was a Pharisee, he came to dark when he even said, Rabbi, let me straighten you out. That would have totally fit my worldview. So I'm already, as I'm kind of beginning to get in the story, I'm a little surprised. Like, what's going on here? Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And then I wonder, why doesn't Jesus go, well, that's good enough? Here's a person who's theistic, who is curious, spiritually open, motivated to be a, a, a follower of God in truth as best as they can know truth. It seems like they're, they're curious about that. They've already acknowledged that Jesus has come from God, that there's something unique about the person of Jesus, that he's, he's different than other rabbis, other religious leaders. And Jesus doesn't go, good enough. Have a good day. I, I admit that when I come to the scriptures, as best as I try not to, I have a bit of a bias. We can't help it. We, that's just how we are as people. And, and I notice what I filter through the most. When I get the most confused about the scripture, I think this is just me. You, you, probably, you may have your own grid. For me, I think the Bible hinges on what is called the... The great commandment. Does anybody know that? Can say say, but you don't have to get it exactly word perfect. But the great commandment. What would that be? Love God and love. So for me, the Bible is this huge question: Who is God, and what is love? So often when I get a little bit stuck, I try to look into the passage. I'm going, what is this teaching me about God? What is this telling me about love? Who is God? And what is love? When I can't, like, because I'm going to tell you right now, we, we may get into that, I don't know if we'll have time, but I'll be honest with you, not everything in the Bible is like a slam dunk. Oh, that's easy. I mean, we're talking some hard stuff in the Bible, right? And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have a great explanation for all of it. So I just kind of go, okay, this is, gonna, is this teaching me something about God and, and something about love? And I think all of it informs that, and that's why I need the whole Bible. As a matter of fact, without the Bible, I could never figure this out. That's my great apologetic for the Bible. Without the Bible, I don't really know who God is, and I have no idea what it means to love. I've got some intuitions. Not enough. All right. So here's Jesus' reply, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
What do you mean? I mean, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So Jesus continued, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born. All right, I know I've heard this born-again thing. I was, you know, those of you that were around in the 70s, we saw tons of it. Won't be the first time you've heard about somebody, you've heard people identify as born-again Christians. And then you hear Jesus give this explanation, you've got to be born of the water and the Spirit, and, and humans reproduce, and the Spirit, and, and your brain's kind of swell. But then I like this verse right here. So you can't explain exactly how people are born of the Spirit. Well, that's awesome. Look at that. Let there be Bible. Oh, and it shows up. Thank you back there. That is great. Little magic elves. All right. Okay, I'm going to go to verse 9. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus, Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher and you don't understand these things. I assure you. And we tell you that we know and have seen and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? So back to our little scale. One thing I like about the scale is things sometimes build on other things. Other, some belief systems build on the next step. All right? So as we're going to find out, it's very hard. It's very hard to grasp the idea that Jesus did something for me if I won't first wrestle with the idea that God loves me. God loves me, and, and whatever it means to believe, leaning into that comes before I'm willing to understand that Jesus died for me. And Jesus is saying the same thing. As a matter of fact, what Jesus is telling this guy is this idea is nothing new. This idea that we are born of spirit, that life is not all that I see and all that I think. That's not supposed to be earth-shattering news to somebody who has spent their life studying and teaching the Bible. No one has ever gone to heaven. No one has ever, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the Son of Man, so, so as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And just as we're two seconds away from kind of getting into the main part of our conversation, but before I do, let me ask you something. What is eternal life? Because that word is going to show up a couple times, and it's a big word. It's an important word. What is eternal life? Okay. So, I'm going to, I can't erase very well, apparently, so we can only go... Let's see. We can do it like that. All right. So again, if we are going to think, if we think about this linearly, like this, it just makes you pay attention, people. That's I'm doing this on purpose. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to go to sleep now. When will it fall? When will it fall? So, eternal. Oh, there's Todd. All right. So heaven is down here, and then I, get, I, I should have left more room, then heaven just kind of keeps going forever and ever, right? All right. So that's eternal life. I would say that's a really, and I think that's true. I think that is a true statement, that eternal life 
has something to do that when my body, when I'm no longer needing this, that the, the essence of who I am, the majority of who I am, continues. In fact, the Bible makes a big deal. We don't talk about it much. That really a big idea is I'm going to get a brand new body. I'm not going to live like an angel on a cloud or something. I get a brand new body. I live in a new Jerusalem, in a new city. But here's my question. I don't know that that's what he was hearing. When I hear Jesus talking about eternal life, I think Jesus is talking about something that includes heaven, but is a way of living now. That eternal life is something that is gifted to me, but is not a, it's not one of those things like a trust fund that I can only open when I turn 21. That I get the quality, I get eternal life now. If I were to ask you, what, what is life? Like, how do you, how would you define life? What, what, what are, what makes life life for you? What makes life worth living? Maybe that, is that a way to say, I don't know. What's a good way to say that? What would be the qualities of eternal life other than just a place to go when I die? To play? Yeah. Joy. What else? Family. Belonging. Worship. Okay. Happy. Okay. So you can resonate with this idea of becoming alive. Now, my hunch is that different people, if you were to quiz them, and there's probably, let's say, let's say we could brainstorm, easily we could brainstorm 50 things. Some people will have a couple of them. But Jesus is saying that this life is what I'm, going to, I'm wanting you to have. And the very thing, the reason, I think Jesus is kind of looking into, into Nicodemus and going, the reason you came tonight is because that's what you want. You want life. And then Jesus makes this big summary statement. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. This is going to be a little bit harder for you. First part's not too hard. Second part sometimes gets people uncomfortable. And that is, let's pretend for a moment, so Jesus makes this statement, that God loves the world. All right? Let's say that we're in a court of law. All right? And, and you're the defense of that. If I were to say, how would you defend the idea, the notion, that God loves the world? What has God done to prove that he loves the world? Okay, Jesus. That's always the sort of the big one. What else? He created. He created. Okay. What is the scope, by the way, of of this love of God's? How, to whom does it go? The world. So not even just humanity, but His creation, right? So like every God loves what He made, and that primary. I think the at the top of that He is the people He made. So, we've got Jesus, we've got, we were created, what else? How else does God sort of prove this statement, if you're going to have to defend it? 
Okay, medicine. Okay. Beauty of nature, sure. Relationships. Sort of that existential. I look in my granddaughter's eyes and I just know something. All right. Here's where it gets a little uncomfortable. And I'll tell you ahead of time, this is probably, this might be easier for you. Not emotionally, but sort of easier. And that is if you were the prosecuting attorney. What evidence would you have that God does not love this world? Okay. War. Pain. Suffer. Disease. Disease. Death. Evil. Loss. Violence. Injustice. Boy, that comes easy. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Here's what's happened to me in my Christian life is I've been embarrassed about that part. And so I never wanted to, I never wanted to sort of talk about that. Like I felt like I was bad for even noticing that. And then it dawned on me. In a sense, if this weren't true, then it takes... No believing. It's only acknowledging. It takes no faith. See, the, the, the word here hinges. The, the, this whole idea, this conversation this morning hinges on this idea for those who believe. Now, we, I don't have time to... I, I think there are some answers for some of this. But there is no answer for all of this. And so when Jesus, remember who's talking here, who's in the room, who's the one standing up saying check in? It is Jesus who says, God loves you so much that he's going to give me. Now what's interesting is we have in, we have in our minds the proof of that because of the cross. So you and I have an understanding that he wasn't just talking, that he was willing to sort of back that up by this unbelievable, unprecedented act of unbelievable love when it says he dies for his friends. But not only for his friends, he also dies for those who don't even like him equally. As a matter of fact, it's possible a man will die for his friends. But somebody who's willing to die for anybody, for the world. But see, we, we're looking back on it. This guy doesn't even have that. He just has Jesus' miracles, Jesus' good works, and Jesus' word that God loves him. How do you move? How do you move down the line or cross the the journey. How do you move a little bit that way? It has something to do with believing in some way. You see, what hinders me from believing that God loves me is not always just an intellectual exercise. 
If I were to ask you, as a matter of fact, I will ask you. What keeps you, not from believing that God loves you, but what keeps you from experiencing that God loves you? Now we have different answers. Now it's not just intellectual. Now it becomes personal. Some of you have had loss. Some of you have never really had loss. So you understand intellectually that loss and death of a loved one is sort of you know, part of that prosecutor's case, but you personally maybe have never experienced that, so you don't identify with that. I'm going to just share one with you that has just come to me recently that I've noticed in my own life. I think I shared when I was here last time. I've had this lifelong um, battle, I don't know what the right word is, with depression. It's not uncommon to me. Lots and lots and lots of people who live in a broken world struggle with depression. It's one of, it seems to me it's just part of the effect of lots of people. Not everybody. Some of you in here are very sweet and kind people, but you have no idea what a depressed person is talking about. Your idea, well, why don't you just wake up and see the sunshine? And you're not trying to be mean. That's just how God made you. That's awesome. That's not how he made me some days. And so what happens now, somebody noticed that one of the, one of the gifts of God is medicine. So one of the things that is true now that hasn't been true for most of history is that there are some medical things. They, they've come to realize that there are things happening in my, in my brain chemistry that are working against me. And so they give you medicine for that. But the problem with that, that unlike many other kinds of medicine, depression and treating depression is n- not just science. They know there are some drugs that help, but the truth is they don't know what drug's going to help you. They can't take a blood test and go, this is the one you need. The only way they can do it is trial and error. And guess who the guinea pig is? So I've been in this rodeo a long time. And so about a year, and, about two years ago, my doctor changed my medicine. And, and often what happens when you get a new medicine, I'm just telling you, my, this is my story. When you get a new medicine, often you will feel really much better right away. And the reason is, this is my, this is my interpretation, is because you're so hopeful this one will work. And so you get a little bit of adrenaline, you get a little bit of hope, and so you begin to feel better right away. And so I can remember she asked me, how are you doing? I'm going, I'm doing better. Well, then what happened for me is very slowly, I didn't even notice it. Man, I started just sliding. Like, and all of a sudden, and I don't, I, I don't even, my, people around me recognize it long before I recognize it. I'm spending inordinate amounts of time in the dark. And I was having this other thing, I was just pissed off all the time. Like my, I was crawling out of my skin. I was just irritated. But I didn't realize I was irritated. I thought the people around me were irritating. <laughs> Which leads to my isolating. And I didn't. And, and, and finally, it dawned on me something's wrong. And I went to my doctor about, a, about three weeks ago, a month ago, and I said, Listen, I'm coming out of my skin here. Changed my medicine. If, if, you, if I were to then, if, let, me, let me stop. Let me go back to three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, if you asked me, Carl, does God love you? Well, yeah, I read the Bible. I went to seminary Bible college. I know he does. I can, I can kind of defend this, and I got a couple of answers for that. Carl, do you experience God's love? I would have said no. Man, is it, I, I have a hard time connecting that God. I have no problem believing that God loves you. And I can see that. Man, I can't see it for me. And it dawned on me, I'm fighting. One of my big hindrances to experiencing God's love has nothing to do with my theology. It has to do with my medicine. Changed my medicine. As a matter of fact, it just took me off a medicine that was making me irritable. And I cannot tell you how much, how much less irritating my wife has become in just three weeks. <laughs> it's a miracle, praise the Lord. She's a new person, I'm telling you. 
She's a new person. Sweet, beautiful, kind. It's crazy. So I say that to tell you that you, we live in community. We live, we're human beings. We're all in this together kind of a deal. Your, your experience may not just be theological. The idea of believing is sometimes not just theological. It can be other things. If you've gone through a horrible personal tragedy, it will be harder for you, maybe, than somebody else. Be nicer to yourself, maybe, than you are. There's a whole list of other stuff. I'm going to tell you one last story about believing. Because I think the whole thing hinges on this. Who is God and what is love? And how I connect with that is called believing. That's called faith. I don't think I'd, if I told you this story, just humor me. I'm an old man. I can't remember what I've told. But a long time ago, I used to be a youth speaker. I would speak at camps and stuff like that, and I would travel around. And one time, I, was, I remember I was up in Wyoming. I was speaking at this camp, and they wanted to go. They were going to go on a, on, a, on a day hike. And so I went on this day hike. That's great. And we got up, I, 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 and they wanted to go repelling. Have you ever been on, I don't know, have anybody here repelled? What you do is you, you, you basically tempt God to kill you or something like that. <laughs> because you, you, put, you, you put on this underwear and, and then they put a string through that and tell you to jump off a mountain. And that's how it looks to me. Like that's, that's what I'm seeing in my eye is that's, that's the, that is how big that rope is. And you're telling me to go backwards. And it's interesting because as they're doing this, they're demonstrating this. So the guy, he, he ties it up to a, couple, to a tree, into a big boulder, and he pulls on it, he puts his full weight on it. And he's kind of asking, and then he shows, he's, they're very, very meticulous about putting on the underwear and making sure everything is put on properly and exactly all the knots, everything. They're, they're, they double, triple, quadruple check everything. And he asks this question, do you believe that rope will hold you? Yes, I believe that rope will hold you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I got no anxiety about that. And in fact, he goes off the cliff. Wee, wee, wee. Next person. Wee. They just they keep jumping off. And and this is the crazy thing. Intellectually, I have no problem believing that that rope will hold them. Just you can't be a youth speaker at a camp and be the only one who doesn't jump off the cliff. It's going to not go well that night for you. That's a fi- you know, it's my turn. And do you believe the rope will hold you? Yes, I believe the rope will hold me. I, I, I can't explain. I, I, but there's something about sort of knowing the rope will hold me. And then leaning back and the rope goes tight. And it does hold me. In that moment, I knew that I believed in a way that wasn't just thinking. So what I would say to you, even though you've heard this verse for a long time, is believing that God loves you. And all you know about that is different than trusting that God loves you and all that that means. All right, let me pray. Lord, thanks that we got to be together, we got to laugh, we got to think about you, talk about you. Wherever my friends might be on this continuum of believing and trusting that you love them, that you care about them, I pray you would help them.
Lord, I pray for the new building going up and what that could mean for this community. I pray that lots of people would experience as they walk in the hospitality of Jesus, that he is open to everyone, every single one of us. And for that, we are grateful. And I pray that blessing on Bergen Park. Amen.